0: we mm-hmm. This is Chris. Welcome to episode 227 of X-Lapsed. Can you believe it? X-Lapsed is back. I can't, because it took forever for this package to get to my house. I can't believe we are over halfway through August, and we're just barely starting the July books here. It feels like uh, sometimes these DCBS packages are uh, cursed. Uh, Actually, more often than not. Uh, This month in particular, it took took a long time, clearly, two weeks into the month, it's insane Anyway, let's kick things off here We are actually going to be starting this month with a surprise penultimate issue I wasn't aware that this was going to be the uh, second-to-last issue of this series Uh, There was a sneaking suspicion, of course Because, uh, I mean, how long could you go with this series, really? But... The book we're going to discuss today is Children of the Atom, number no. five, and it had a September 2021 cover date. The story is called Reinforcements, written by Vida Ayala, art by Paco Medina, colors David Curiel, letters VCs Travis Lanham, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman, edits Andrews Bolasteros, White Sabolski, cover price four bucks. Went on sale July 7th of 2021. And as mentioned, this is, of course, the penultimate issue, and it's also the fifth issue, so we are down to our final member of the cast to be our narrator. So we got J.J. Uh, Daycrawler. He's going to be the voice in our heads today. Now we open up with some catch-up from last issue. The Koda kids are captured by the U-Men, uh, but J.J. is able to get away. Now his inner monologue is mostly about his stepbrother, Marvel Guy. He talks about not remembering a time in his life when he wasn't around, Is a uh, His mother married his stepfather, you know, a little bit, uh... He he was still a, a little kid, so he didn't really know a whole lot of life before that. And, of course, Benny was part of that package, so he was always there. But he talks about how, of late, he seems to be getting on Benny's nerves more and more. He's scared that Benny's just tired of being his big brother. And, uh, I'm not sure I'd necessarily blame him. Okay, but seriously... JJ's got to figure out how to save the day here, so that's what we're going to be doing Now, he nearly makes me do a spit take By, uh, you know, thinking like, who can I go to for help? And the first thing that pops into his head is, I can go to the Avengers And then he stops himself with a, ugh, gross comment, which was pretty great I I actually uh, really dug that Now he realizes that his best bet would ultimately be to go to the Krakoan Embassy And enlist the aid of the X-Men, of course I believe it was Storm gave them that, uh, like, X logo thing as a sort of a communicator or maybe just proof that uh, they are, you know, friends of the Kirk Owens. So uh, we already saw this happen at the end of the uh, last issue here, right? But uh, in fairness, we didn't see it from JJ's point of view. We do know how, how we're going to, where we're going to get to. We just don't know exactly how we got there. From here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters will be Cherub, Marvel guy. Cyclops last Gimmick, and Daycrawler. Info page. Now, this is an info page which kind of gives the big secret of the book away here. Um, And we're going to talk a bit about the secret that has been kept, on the mystery that we've been building over the course of the last five issues here. We don't have a lot of story to discuss. The story is very, very quick. But we can talk a bit about... You know, how you build a story this way. How, how you build an arc and uh, the success of that arc when, I don't know, maybe the destination doesn't live up to the journey. You know, uh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. But for now, the info page. This is a study of the technology and the gear that the Dakota kids use here. So this is an explanation on how they do the things they do. First, Cyclops Lass. Of course, she's got the visor. And, uh... The visor is a heat beam, assumed to be uh, of welding technology in origin. So, not a mutant power, right? This is something that works as a tool, as technology. Now Cherub, he appears to fly via thrusters that only look like wings. They're not actually wings, they just look like them. He also has sonic blasts from a tool that looks like a hand harp. And uh, this is all assumed to be from mobility and demolition technology. Gimmick has gloves, with the ability to charge and discharge energy from objects, and this is assumed to be some sort of excavation technology. Marvel Guy has chemically-induced psychic suggestion, and uh, this is technology, or science, I guess, believed to have been used to clear animals out of certain areas where they uh, shouldn't be. Finally, Daycrawler, now his gear allows him to fold space in order to appear to teleport. Now, the resulting smoke that pops off, you know, the BAMF smoke, this is just something that Gimmick, well, gimmicked up with her cosplay doodads to make it look like teleportation. Also, they all have headgear that blocks telepathy. If you remember, they bought those chunks of Magneto's helmet off of uh, eBay or whatever the uh, eBay equivalent is, and I guess uh, I guess Carmen somehow wove this into their gear, which... I don't know, I mean, it, it answers a question, right? Um, and it it's facilitated the keeping of the secret for the past four issues, so I guess we don't really have much of a choice but to allow it, but is this really all it takes to neutralize some of the most powerful telepaths in the universe? Like Jean Grey, Professor... I, I mean, we have characters here who should be able to suss this out, and they can't because they have chunks of Magneto's helmet woven into their gear? I... I don't know, it seems a little suspect here, but, uh, I mean, it did keep the secret, and it did get us to where we are now, so we'll let it be. Back to comics, and we are back to the present. The X-Men, and Maggot, arrive to fight off the U-Men and save the Koda kids. And, well, they spend the next 11 pages doing just that. (sighs) But it's not just a fight scene. We actually advance our story here as well. Because, you see, the U-Men, they they use this technology that nullifies mutant powers, and, hey, you know what? It actually has been a minute since we've had mutant power nullifiers in the X-Books. Because, for a while, it felt like we saw them in every issue. It feels like it's been a while since we brought them up. So, now, why is this important? Why is this worth mentioning? Well, because this mutant power nullifier doesn't affect our CODA kids, because they're not mutants. Huh. It is worth noting that Carmen does feel a bit of a headache, though, so I wonder what that might be about. Anyway, in a bit of a role reversal, the Coda kids are able to come to the depowered X-Men's aid, and together they win the day. But now the X-Men know that the Codas are dirty, stinking fake mutants. And, uh, well, they advise them that they're no longer under Krakoan amnesty. And so that pesky Kamala's law now applies to them. And of course, you know, that's the anti-teen heroes law that we read about in the Outlawed issues. Well, maybe you don't know, since those were some of my least listened to episodes ever, and uh, that is saying something. Anyway, Cyclops politely tells the kids to uh, go home. And so the codas kind of just stand there looking sad. From here, it's an info page, and it's a look at uh, J.J. Daycrawler's social media feed because, uh, well, we need more things like this in the book. Uh, It looks like Cradle are currently looking for the CODAs, and uh, I guess word travels fast. Also, the official Krakoa chatter feed sends out a message thanking the CODAs for their assistance. Back to comics, and uh, we rejoin the CODA kids a little later on, licking their wounds. Now, Buddy is being patched up by Carmen and uh, is getting really close to her, like, gazing into her eyes and everything, uh, despite the fact that she doesn't seem to realize that, uh, A, Carmen is a lesbian and therefore not into Cherub, and also that Carmen has the hot pants for her. Elsewhere, Benny applies some iodine or something to JJ's head, and they have themselves a heart-to-heart. They hug, they're happy, they're brothers, all that good stuff. Cherub is uh, laying on the floor with a damp towel over his head. I guess uh, he's, uh, yeah. He's recouping. Now, they talk about how it's probably time for the, uh, the Kota kids to take a little bit of a break. Because Cradle, I mean, that's an organization full of dicks. And the X Men know that they're not mutants, so it's tough times. They gotta, they gotta maybe take a step back and figure out what the, uh, the next play is, or even if there is a next play. But then, there's a knock at the door. Hmm. Well, they answer it, and it's Storm, all the way from Mars. No, no, actually, this is before all of that. Because, you know, this CODA story certainly couldn't have been told in, like, two or three issues. Because, you see, we needed to stretch it out for a trade collection that nobody's gonna buy. Now, Storm is here with an invitation to the Hellfire Gala, which, you know, hasn't happened yet. Now, the CODA kids are shocked. They figured that these invites were just for important people. And Storm gives them a look like, child, please. And then explains that only one of them is actually invited... And that invitee is gimmick, since, you know, she's actually a mutant. That's where we leave it. We are to be concluded. But next episode, we're looking at Hellions. So let's talk about this issue, and uh, I feel that I should preface. I can't believe I have to, but uh, I should preface with the fact that uh, I don't hate this book. I don't hate the creative team. Um, I don't want you to hate the book or the creative team on my behalf. but I do feel like there are a few problems in this book, and unfortunately, the problems are kind of my main takeaway. Now, of course, I can't claim to have any insider knowledge on the, uh, you know the publication of Marvel Comics or uh, actually any of the, uh, you know, making the sausage sort of plans here. What we do know is that Children of the Atom was first solicited like, a year and a half ago I mean, it was supposed to come out I think like February or March of 2020 So a long time ago this book was supposed to hit It was delayed for the better part of a year Maybe a little over a year And uh, here it is uh, Never solicited as a mini series or a limited series And uh, looks like it's going to be wrapping up with its sixth issue Again, I don't know what goes into these decisions I don't know if this there was an original plan for this story That had to get... Altered or amended or just played with in a way that made it fit in with the reign of X rather than the dawn of X. So, this one's kind of a toughie to really hold things against. You know, it feels like uh, this one was just kind of snake bit from the get go. I mean, folks who listen to the collected X Lapsed, the uh, weekend show I put out that collects, you know, all the disparate episodes of the show into. Kind of blocks that fill out the Dawn of X anthology series You know, if you haven't listened to the show and you want to get into the show, it's a pretty easy way to do so It's, you know, all the number ones are there, all the number twos are there from back in the day It's just basically what appears in the Dawn of X anthologies will, will be part of that episode And I recently uh, did an audit episode because it was funny I'm looking online and... You go to Amazon, you go to Comixology, you go to Marvel.com, you go to the Marvel Wiki You go to anywhere that sells books, Barnes & Noble, anywhere that sells books to try to find out what's in these Dawn of X anthologies And none of them seem to be able to agree Because, you know, original solicits went out before the COVID hiatus And then the new solicits came out, and then the actual book came out And sometimes none of this stuff matched and I was putting together a recent episode and saw that Children of the Atom number no. 1 was supposed to be part of an early or a mid, mid, mid-range uh, Dawn of X anthology trade. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> how does this work? And that was my first indication that, uh-oh, I might be doing this wrong by, uh, by going through Amazon or going through Marvel.com to see what's in these books. It got to the point where I actually had to go and take a picture of the back of the trades I don't own the trades, I have the single issues But I had to take pictures of the back of the trades just to see what was in the books So I could make sure that I was covering or including the right stuff in each collected edition episode Now I only mention that because Children of the Atom were listed in the Dawn of X run And of course that just didn't turn out to be so, while there are some problems with this book, it's really hard for me to hold it against you know anybody involved in the creation of this book, be it the creative team, be it an editorial it's it's a real tough one, like I said, this book feels like it was snake bit, but I'm gonna ear on the side of optimism here and assume that it's going to serve a purpose like there's a reason why this story is being told here, and Maybe it comes down to Carmen. Maybe it comes down to Gimmick. Maybe she will be a big part, or maybe just a part, of the uh, of the Reign of X story here. Maybe she'll join the New Mutants. Uh, same writer, right? Vita Ayala did Children of the Atom, also doing New Mutants. So maybe this Gimmick character will uh, make a bit of a splash here and not be like D-Cell from the Juggernaut miniseries, who is... As far as we know, just there I don't know if we've seen her since uh, The end of the Juggernaut miniseries But uh, we have to assume She's still on Krakoa, right? So anyway, on to the problems I had with this issue Um, Now the whole thing about this series Has been building up the mystery of like, Who are these kids? What are these kids? Are they mutants? Are they inhumans? Are they superpowered at all? Is this all technology? And we get our answer In an info page I mean, we've been building this up for like a hundred pages Over the course of A long, long time (laughs) I mean, again, it's hard for me to say You know, this book was solicited a year and a half ago And so we've wondered about these characters Ever since then But I mean, even just taking it into account that This book has been on our radar In its current form For the better part of the past Eight or nine months now And the entire thing is about building up this mystery And it just kind of falls flat You know, even the revelation from the X-Men That these characters that have been portraying themselves as mutants Aren't mutants is kind of just shrugged off It's like, oh, you're not mutants? Okay, well, uh, you're no longer under amnesty Go home It just feels very, very flat Also, if we think back over the course of the past several issues here Or I guess the only issues of this book The big cliffhanger that we got two or three times was the characters at the Coney Island gate trying to walk through. Which, I mean, it was silly in the first place, but now it just makes the characters look stupid. Because the whole gimmick of these gates is that only mutants can pass through. Now with the understanding that these characters knew they weren't mutants from the get-go, I mean, they were just wearing technology that made them appear to have mutant powers. I don't know why they were on a ship. (laughs) I don't know why we got that flashback. Maybe that'll be cleared up next issue, but... I mean, this just shows them as being very dumb. Why would they try and try and try to walk through a gate that clearly wasn't ever going to let them through? It just seems pointless, and it makes the characters just look very, very dumb. And again, of course, this might have been retroactively made into a six-issue series here. Maybe maybe things got in the, in the way. Maybe the Hellfire Gala gummed up the works. Maybe just things happened because... I'm thinking the only way to pay off that sort of scene where they're all trying over and over again to walk through this gate is to have one of the times they do it have Carmen not wind up on the other side with them. She actually made it to Krakoa. And then we can deal with that. We can have the characters kind of wondering what this means. We can have, you know, Buddy, the top mutant fan person in the planet, being maybe a little bit jealous that uh, that Carmen has the powers that uh, that Buddy wanted. I don't know, I don't know I I feel like, like I said a few times This was just a snake bit book here It's not a bad book Again, I I need to make it clear that I don't hate this book Nor do I hate the people behind it Lest I get a reputation for hating everything But I just don't feel like this story worked quite as well as it could have Um, The art here was uh, as good as usual A bit stylized as as normal Uh, If it's something you like, you're going to like it If it's something you don't, you're not I happen to like it, and I think it uh, perfectly serves the, uh, the tone of the story and the characters involved. But uh, I think that's all I have to say about this penultimate issue. If you agree or disagree, I'd love to hear from you. I mean, don't uh, be afraid of reaching out, even if our opinions don't uh, match up, and we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of the episode. But uh, let's hop into the mailbag first, eh? We've got a handful of letters today uh, We are, of course, coming back from our little break So, uh, it gave the mailbox a little bit of time to, uh, to pile up Now let's start with Damien, who's talking about Excalibur number 19 Damien says, I'm sure I'm not the first to um-actually-you about Malice But the Sue Storm Malice and the X-Men Malice were completely unconnected Sue turned evil due to a team-up between the Hatemonger and Psycho Man She wasn't possessed I'll be honest. I don't think I read a Malice story since she split with Polaris around about uh, Uncanny X-Men number 250, so they may have been retconned into being connected. And you know, I think I can't. I can't remember off the top of my head. It's uh, it's been a little while, but I think I actually um actually myself there. <laughs> I think did I do a fake-ass comics history on that? Maybe. I, I I know I I talk a lot, so maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. But I think we did a fake-ass comics history on that. I. Maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) Maybe I imagined it. Uh, Damien continues. Anyway, this was one of my favorite issues of Excalibur so far. That means it was pretty good, but still a little confusing. Personally, I didn't notice that they skipped the Betsy Quinone fight, but I've seen so many fights between them, mainly in dream sequences, over the last year or so, I'm very glad that they skipped this one. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of the trademark of Excalibur here. Uh, We get a cliffhanger, and then we start in a place that makes us wonder if we uh, missed an issue or two. Uh, Damien continues, It was great to see Malice back. She's a great character to sow distrust among the Krakowans. That original Barry Windsor Smith-drawn story is a high point to aim for. I wonder if Teenie Howard can get anywhere near it. No comment. Uh, you talk about getting less feedback as you get closer to being up to date, because of how many of us are waiting for Marvel Unlimited, so I feel I should warn you that none of the Conan stuff gets put on Unlimited. This means that the Savage Avengers two-parter will be the first X-Lapse that I listen to without reading the comic first, which is a new experience for me. Wow, that's interesting. That's interesting. I didn't know that the Conan stuff doesn't wind up on Unlimited. That's very, very interesting. And uh, next episode, we'll actually have Damien's thoughts on the the two-part Savage Avengers story, so uh, look forward to that. And, uh, of course, thank you as always for writing in, Damien. I always look forward to hearing from you next up, Evan, regarding Sword number 5. Now, he says, You're right that Fabian Cortez is not even getting the hint of the benefit of the doubt that other, more dangerous villains are receiving. Now, if you remember, this is uh, Fabian Cortez kind of on trial in front of the Quiet Council, and, uh, well, he's naked. He's nude the whole time, so it's kind of an exercise in mocking him and making him, uh, making him look pretty bad, <laughs> and just making him very uncomfortable. Evan continues, I think it's probably because he's always primarily been out for himself, while folks like Magneto, Mystique, Exodus, and Apocalypse have been, in theory anyway, fighting for the cause of mutantdom. Less so for Mr. Sinister and Sebastian Shaw, but they're useful. Cortez in the mutant world is pretty much viewed in the same light we fancy him. Now that inconsistency can be annoying if it's just different writers approaching different things differently, but compelling if it's part of the story. Similar to clones not being resurrected unless somebody more important than Havoc cares about them, and or every non-mutant but juggernaut being allowed to step on Krakoan soil. But despite Cortez being such a scumbum, the lengths to which Magneto goes to humiliate him seem a bit over the top. And I had a hard time with Gene being the one to download his memories and then mock him at his resurrection. That was an Emma Frost moment for sure. And I agree 100%. Um, Now, for folks who didn't read that issue, or it's been a long time since you have, Fabian Cortez was killed uh, during the King in Black story, and he was brought back in a gold ball. And you know how usually it's Professor X doing the download, and there's usually people around to witness this. Well, Fabian didn't get none of that. Professor X didn't even bother to show up. It was just Jean. Jean showed up, and uh, she you know downloads him after he pops out of the gold ball. He asks, you know, are they gonna do the thing where they chant mutant at him? And she's like, Nah, <laughs> you know, nobody cares enough for uh, poor old Fabian Cortez. Definitely something that should have come out of Emma Frost's mouth. Not not really Jean's, uh, at least in in my and Evan's opinion. Now Evan continues. As for Jean's costume, she was wearing, like, the Jim Lee, Wills-Portasio costume, if I'm remembering right. Uh, Evan says, maybe it was meant to e- invoke, for readers, or the, in the story, the era where Cortez betrayed Magneto. As for her other costume changes, since the Krakowans seem to be rejecting every human notion, maybe they consider their costumes to be their mutant clothes, and putting on the throwback suits is their only option come laundry day. Well, that's certainly a possibility, right? I mean, have we seen, outside of the um, Carnation Abominations during the Hellfire Gala, have we seen the X-Men out of costume yet? Or the characters that would eventually become the X-Men? I mean, have we seen Cyclops in just like his, his shades and, a, you know, a shirt? I think even when he doesn't have the head sock on, he still has his X-Men costume on. I'm trying to think, have we seen Jean outside of her, like, go-go dress or her uh, throwbacks? Or other throwbacks, I should say I'm not sure that we have That's an interesting thing to consider here I'm really racking my brain here To see if we have gotten any X-Men in civilian clothes Outside of like the Women of Marvel special Where Emma was trying to find something to wear I I think that's the only time I can think about uh, Somebody wearing uh, street clothes Maybe Wolverine when he was Patch But still, that's kind of a costume in and of itself Interesting Interesting. If anybody can think of a, uh, of a time where we saw them outside of their costumes, please let me know. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Evan. Next up, we got Meal, who's continuing their sort of state of the union on the Xbox here. And today is X Corp Day. Now, Meal says, Ugh, X Corp. Imagine how rich we would be if we didn't have to buy what was owed to us. It's a great line, but would have been much better if it was anybody other than Monet saying it. Like, girl, what are you talking about? You've always been rich. Somebody like Danny or Bling, sure, but not Monet. Okay, Bling wouldn't work either. Her parents are basically Marvel Universe's Jay-Z and Beyoncé. And yeah, you know, um, this is what I would call like Mark Miller writing, where it's like you take a character that you want to fit into a wrong-shaped hole, And you do whatever you have to do to to stick them in there This is the Mark Miller Civil War storytelling Where it's like, hey, I have this story I really want to tell But it doesn't really work in the context and framework of the Marvel Universe But I really want to tell this story anyway And even though at the time Marvel had several And still continues to have several you know, alternate dimensions It's like, no, I don't want this to be an ultimate story I don't want this to be a what-if story. I want this to really leave a mark on the Marvel Universe, even though it doesn't really work in the Marvel Universe. I'm still going to do it anyway because I'm Mark Miller. Here we have uh, characters who have decades of character development, and it's all been just pushed to the side to make sure lines like that work and to make sure that the story is facilitated and massaged into a way that If you don't have the context clues or the history with these characters, it works, right? If you don't know Monet or Warren or, you know, anybody involved in the book, it's like, okay, this is a story that's okay. It's when you think about how it just doesn't really jive, that's when you start to, uh, I feel like that's where you're putting on, like, the Roddy Piper glasses and they live, right? It's like you see a crack, you put on the glasses, and it's like, wait a minute, none of this actually works. And again, I, I don't hate... The creative team of that book. So, um, let's not get it twisted here. Meal continues. Okay, ten hours later, Meal here. So, I was gonna try and read all three issues that are out as of today, June 27th, to give you my overview on the series. But I can't. It's bad. I hate the art, I hate the dialogue, I hate the data pages, which I usually like. I don't want to hate teeny Howard's writing, but I just can't. So, until Warren gets rescued to a better book, Be my next lapsed. And yeah, I mostly agree. I haven't read the third issue yet. That'll be coming up in a little over a week, I believe. But uh, the first two issues have been some of the most difficult to uh, not only read, but to spend hours and hours writing about and, and discussing here on the air. Contrary to um, some opinions out there I don't do this to crap on books Or to crap on writers I do this because I love the X-Men I love these characters Um, So it's hard when we get a book like this That I just don't like And I'm always open to having my mind changed Is the thing here Um, You know what, I was going to save this for the end of the show But let's let's get it out of the way now Because I've been kind of hemming and hawing about it The entire episode to this point uh, for folks who follow the Essential X-Lapse, which is our look at the Silver Age stuff here, I did mention this a few weeks ago, but I understand that there are different audiences for different shows here. Um, some folks don't have any interest in the Silver Age stuff, and some folks don't have any interest in the current day stuff. So there are, there are different audiences, uh, with, with some overlap, of course. But I mentioned during the Essential uh, stint we just had that I received a review on iTunes that was a uh, one-star review. And it called me out on being pessimistic, hating everything, crapping on everything, basically wasting my time to crap on things that I don't like. Which makes me think that this person probably listened to an episode wherein I discussed X-Corp, or maybe Excalibur. Which are really, in my opinion, the only books that I have a, a negative reaction to. I mean, I will point out problems with books, because... I'm not beholden to Marvel or DC. I'm not beholden to these creators. I'm not getting stuff for free. I don't need Teeny Howard to retweet me and pat me on the head like a good dog. I, I don't need any of that. I believe in sharing my honest opinion. If, if folks are going to spend the time to listen to me, to listen to me babble on with my marble-mouthed way, I owe them honesty. And I'm going to always be honest. And I'm going to be as fair as possible. If you've been listening for any length of time, you'll know that I usually preface my complaints with, hey, this might just be a Chris problem, you know, because I understand I have biases. I understand that I come into comics from a different era than, you know, than is current year. I know that my view of the X-Men is a certain way. And while I can definitely appreciate being challenged, you know, by these stories that are going in, in you know, relatively drastic Directions here, I mean, this Krakoan era is totally different from what I came in on And for the most part, I really like it There are a couple of books I don't care for And uh, unfortunately, they're both written by the same person So it may seem like I am uh, unduly unfair to this creator And uh, that's never my intent I, I, That's not why I do this uh, I'm gonna level with you all here uh, this, is, this show is almost a year old and throughout this year, I've probably spent close to 1,000 hours Or maybe even over 1,000 hours Just submerged in this world Every episode that goes up has anywhere between 3 to 6 hours of work behind it So, um, to be accused of using this as a sort of vanity project to crap on things I don't like its it's insulting Insulting and uh, it hurts It really does because I feel like I Put a lot of heart and passion into this But most importantly Honesty, I'm not going to lie The book we discussed today, Children of the Atom Don't hate it Don't hate the writer of it I enjoy their work on uh, New Mutants quite a bit As we've discussed many times I feel like Vida Ayala rescued the New Mutants Breathed new life into that book Children of the Atom however Not my cup of tea I can appreciate it for what it is, but I'm still going to point out what I find to be wrong with it I feel like I owe you that much If you're going to listen, you're going to get my honest opinion I'm not going to say, 10 out of 10, please retweet me Please, please come on the show for an interview so I can blow sunshine up your skirt That's not what I do here There are shows that do that, and you're welcome to listen to those Uh, You can listen to them and me It's, you know, it's it's not an either-or sort of situation here But... Let me do whatever I can here to kind of tie this tangent off here so we can move on with the rest of the show. This is an appeal for dissent. I did an appeal for dissent during the Essentials episode here. Basically, if you find that I'm being too harsh on a book or on a creator, and if you take issue with that, do me the kindness of calling me out. I list so many different ways to get a hold of me. And good, bad, or indifferent, I... Read every piece of mail that comes in here So I've had people take me to task I've had people tell me that they really enjoy the show You're all going to get equal time on the show So if you have a problem with something I might say about XCorp Please do me the kindness and reach out and say Hey, I think you're wrong and this is why Not that you'll convince me or I'll convince you But we'll have a discussion And that's kind of the whole point of this show I mean, if you're listening this long, you'll know that this is not a, I don't know, this is not a polished show. This is very much a, you know, punk rock garage band sort of show here, where I'm just some goofball with a microphone who's sharing my opinion, looking for discussions. Whether we agree or disagree, I'm, I'm all for it. So, if you disagree, if you take issue with something I say, please reach out rather than running to a review aggregate and leaving an anonymous uh, bad review that will only serve to hurt the project that I've invested so many hours into. It's not an exaggeration when I say that I wake up hours and hours before the day really begins so I can do this. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a conscious thing that I do. So to, so to try to do me harm and try to hurt the visibility of the show, rather than just reaching out I mean, there are things I could say about that, but uh, I will uh, i will not. <laughs> um, but this is basically just me inviting discourse, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, that's what the show's all about. It's all about discussion. This is a fake-ass book club. You know, it's not something that's important. It's not something that's going to change anybody's lives or minds, but uh, it's something that I have poured a lot of myself into. And if uh, you listen for a while, you'll know that there are books that I completely changed my mind on. I can point to uh, the big two here Uh, X Factor number two was a book That I absolutely despised And I was actually worrying That I wouldn't be able to continue reviewing the book And then The book won me over And I really, really loved it And uh, I miss it very, very much Another one is Sword I went into that thing wanting to hate it Because I don't like the way Al Ewing Conducts himself online I wanted to hate it And I was very honest about that I, I let my bias show. It's like I don't want to like this book, and I do like the book. I think it's a very good book. So it's all about honesty and integrity. And I mean, who knows? Xca- the next issue of Excalibur might totally win me over. The next issue of X Corp might win me over. I'm open to that possibility because I'm open. To giving you all my honest reaction So I think I've talked that subject to death here Um, I want to thank uh, Meal for writing in about X-Corp And kind of facilitating that little aside there And for making me feel like I'm not so insane for not enjoying that book Now we're going to keep on X-Corp here By uh, checking in with our friend Andrew Who's still working his way through the Hellfire Gala here Today he's going to be talking about X-Corp number 2 And Way of X number 3 Andrew says I gotta be honest I didn't hate X-Corp number two I didn't enjoy reading it But When you expect something To be trash And it's a little better Than that Well It's a somewhat Pleasant surprise I don't understand Why this series Is a thing And I won't Be reading any more of it Now of course Andrew uh, doesn't Usually follow All the books But uh, went went all in On the Hellfire Gala Here So this is his First experience With uh, X-Corp At least First First hand Experience with X-Corp And uh Really didn't rock his socks And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that (laughs) Now, uh, Andrew continues Now on to a better book Way of X benefits from cheating And not really being a Hellfire Gala issue But still using the big party To take a look at another facet of Krakoan society Sex It's great that this series is all about Pointing out the realities of this supposed utopia The need for the orphanage Being one of those things I never thought about But makes total sense Well, if we don't think too hard about how how long it's been in-universe and the standard nine-month pregnancy time. It still highlights the need for stronger social mores to really tie the mutants together if they truly want to have a society. I like that Kurt is still learning that he's going to have to leave some of his biases and prejudices behind if he's going to help bring mutant society forward. Kurt has to grow in order for Kokoa to grow, and that's just good storytelling. Agreed 1 million percent. This is uh, a wonderful, wonderful book, um, and the I love how you pointed that out here. Kurt has to grow, Krakoa has to grow. It's it, it, everything is learning. Um, we know that starting a nation is more than just you know state putting a flag in the ground and being like, okay, this is our nation. You know, there's more to it than that. But up to this point, that's basically all we've gotten. You know, we've got the mutants just they're just there. Right? They've just taken over this uh, this island, they start this kiddie government, and uh, just expect everyone to acknowledge them. Well, there's more to it than that. Uh, now, Way of X has been phenomenal in just these very nuanced ways of looking at what it means to be a society. I mean, you think about the word society, and there there's a micro and a macro to it. On the macro, it's just... A group of people, your environment, your city, your town, your, your civilization. But on the micro, there's, there's a lot of different things that weave us together as a society. Things like, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, rituals. Things like holidays. Things like uh, traditions, cultures. It's, it's what makes a society a society. And it's uh, the exploration of that here through the eyes of Nightcrawler here who... I mean, he's probably the best character to do this. Because he does have a, an entrenchment in uh, organized religion, which is, you know, a lot of traditions, a lot of cultures. Uh, it's very societal. And he has his biases here. As, as uh, Andrew mentioned, seeing the babies, seeing, uh, you know, a, a cat house, <laughs> a brothel, finding Stacy X, handing out prophylactics. I mean, those are things that uh, make you challenge your point of view. And and I've mentioned, you know, I got married in the Catholic Church, and I actually had to attend classes on how to not use protection. (laughs) You know, that was a real thing. So we have Kurt, who he's in this, like, weird middle point between being unflinchingly rigid and the need to be very malleable in his beliefs, right? He knows that... Okay, law number three is make more mutants. And you see that as a very rigid and firm law, right? But then you see the other side of it. It's like, well, wait a minute. If there are a quarter of a million mutants just banging all the time, what's going to happen to all these babies? And then you see the orphanage, and you realize that there's a reality to it that is is—it's inconvenient, right? It's an inconvenient reality, but it's a reality all the same. So Kurt has to He has to stay true to himself But also accept These changes Accept the things that are true You can believe in concepts Things that you can't actually touch But you also have to allow For the realities that you can touch And it's it's a very And I want to give uh, Simon Spurrier some, just, a, just a heap of credit here He's doing this in a way that doesn't you know, poo-poo religion, right? Um, because religion is important to a lot of people. And I think the go-to in comics is to just crap all over it. You know, almost like I do on all of these books, right? Uh, no, no, I'm kidding. But this is treating it with a lot more respect than I was expecting. And it's uh, tackling the uh, the more subtle parts of it, the challenges that a uh, that a character might have put in front of them uh, when dealing with these sort of thoughts And it's just, it's just so incredibly well done As Andrew points out here, it's just good storytelling and, and I mean, I just spent five minutes basically saying that Andrew continues The Legion plot is also good But I couldn't help shake the feeling that Legion might not be 100% trustworthy I think Legion is such a unique and powerful individual that a lot of the concerns others might have are beneath him, and that'll probably put his interests against Kurtz or the Krakowans. I think giving him a prominent place in this series was a smart decision because I, for one, really want to know where his story's going to go. And once again, I completely agree. Uh, Legion is definitely a character that uh, Spurrier seems to have an interest in and uh, has never really done him wrong. I I think uh, the Spurrier Legion has been just... A lot of fun, uh, very interesting And I love the point you brought out here That, uh, you know, Legion His his needs, his wants, his goals Might be, like, well above Krakoa here And we've seen him in action here We saw him, you know, basically do the the psychic banging Between uh, Loa and uh, Mercury Now, whose best interests was that in? Right? It certainly wasn't in their best interest since they came out of it hating each other and being disgusted <laughs> by one another. But it did make that beastie pop out, which uh, was Legion's goal. So, um, yes, I'm very interested in seeing how this shakes out. Uh, the next issue has the, the cover of uh, the next issue of Way of X has Legion and Professor X kind of being separated by Nightcrawler. And I tell you, I cannot wait to see what that's all about. I think that's going to be another goodie. Andrew wraps up with, It was nice reading Way of X because I was starting to forget what reading comics I actually enjoy was like. (laughs) So, until we learn why Onslaught is looking like an owl-headed scarecrow, make mine X lapsed. You see, that's just another one of the reasons why I love doing this show. You get honest opinions from people. We don't have to love everything, and we don't have to hate everything. We can like what we like and uh, maybe not care so much for the things we don't care so much for. But uh, thank you so much for writing in, Andrew. I'm I'm enjoying your uh, your Hellfire Gala thoughts here, and I look forward to more. Finally, we're going to wrap up with Billy D, who's talking about Pride of the X-Lapsed. Now, during our break, I did take a Sunday to uh, finally, finally read Pride... Uh, not read, watch <laughs> the X-Men Pride of the X-Men special from uh, 1989, the animation special. It had been my uh, secret shame for a little while that I hadn't ever watched it. Um... It was one of those things when where, like, when people would talk about it, I would kind of just, like, nod my head. It's like, uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> I never watched it. And I finally did so, and I did an episode about it. And I, you know, as, as is the way, um, I enjoyed a lot of it. I had some problems with some of it. But uh, I, overall, I think it was a, uh, a value-added thing for me. It was nice to check it off my list. It was uh, It was fun to experience it. And uh, Billy writes in to say, Hey, Chris, I think I caught this on TV after school one day. At the time, I thought it was awesome. Looking back, I still think it's pretty good, but as you said, some of the voices were not up to snuff. Glad to hear you watch this one, as every X-Fan needs to check this one off their list if they haven't already seen it. And I agree, if you haven't seen uh, The Pride of the X-Men yet, uh, I would definitely recommend checking it out. It might be on Disney+. Plus. Might be. I don't know, I found it on... um, so uh, it's there, <laughs> if anybody wants to see it um, And it's, yeah, it's not half bad, it's very, very um, fun And I, it's one of those things that I just wish I saw back in the long ago Because seeing it now, we have all that hindsight, right? And we've seen the X-Men animated before many, many times So I do wonder how novel it was to see it for the very first time But anyway, definitely highly recommended. And hey, if you want someone to uh, watch along with you, that episode's there in the archives waiting for you. But that will do it for the mailbag. And, uh, well, we're not done. We're certainly not done. We got uh, quite a bit more to do here. Uh, this is the first episode of the August run. So uh, let's hop into Marvel previews. Now, this is Marvel free previews number 13, July 4, September 2021 shipping. The cover is Inferno Number 1, which uh, we will be talking about. The back cover is Amazing Spider-Man Number 74, Finale. And uh, I took these notes a while ago. <laughs> I did the Marvel Previews bit of this probably the end of July, so I didn't know anything about what was coming after this, so I put a note here saying, Are we relaunching again? Really? And uh, no, Amazing Spider-Man is in fact not relaunching. Which is a good news, bad news sort of situation here. Um, Good news or bad news is that now I'm going to have to buy Spider-Man again. (laughs) I'm not a fan of Nick Spencer, so I didn't read any of his amazing Spider-Man run. But with issue 75, well, one of our favorites has taken over. Zeb Wells. Zeb Wells on Spider-Man, could you imagine? I mean, that is... Boy, I remember reading Zeb Wells on, uh, I think it was Peter Parker back around the turn of the century. Maybe... 2002, 2003, and I loved it. And, uh, boy, having him on the flagship ASM, well, hell, (laughs) I'm all about it. Um, It will be shipping three times a month, which, that's a little spendy, but uh, I will, for for Wells, I will definitely, definitely give it a try. Now let's crack this thing open here. We got Dark Ages number 1. That is by Tom Taylor and Ivan Coelho, $5.00. Now, the X-Men are included in the blurb here, but I think this is an alternate dimension thing. That's uh, what I've been told on uh, in the Facebook group by folks who are a little bit more in tune with the uh, goings-on in the biz. So uh, we probably will not be uh, covering it here on the show. Uh, worth noting, there are a few pages of black and white interior art included in this preview, and they are gorgeous. Of the X-Stuff, we do see a page with Apocalypse on it, so uh, we will have to see if this is uh, 616 or if this is something we don't need to worry about. Uh, If anybody knows, please reach out and let me know. And uh, if it's something we have to cover or should cover, we will indeed cover it. Speaking of things we will indeed cover, Inferno, number one of four. Jonathan Hickman and Valerio Sheedy, $6. The headline is, the culmination of Jonathan Hickman's X-Men begins here. Our blurb is, there will be an island. Not the first, but the last. Promises were made and broken. The rulers of Krakoa have been playing a dangerous game with a dangerous woman, and they're about to see how badly that can burn them. One woman follows through on her promise to burn the nation of Krakoa to the ground. And, I mean, as we've been saying, this looks like it's going... And I hate using the word epic, because I feel like it's been totally devalued in this internet era, but this looks like it is going to be most epic, and definitely a turning point in the run, and, uh... I cannot wait This is going to be is going to be good, I think Next up we have The Darkhold Alpha, number one now, Steve Orlando And Cian Tormi, uh, $5 We won't be covering this one But I just wanted to mention how The newly dead Scarlet Witch is being Advertised as being a big part of this um, Will this Undermine the Trial of Magneto? Is anybody paying attention? I don't know just like with Dark Ages, if this is something we need to cover on the show, please let me know, and we will, in fact, do that. Another thing we probably won't be covering on the show, Demon Day's Cursed Web, number one. Peach Momoko, $5, and it looks like Sabretooth is getting involved at this point. Again, this has nothing to do with the current run of X-Men books. It's just included here for completionism's sake. Next, X-Men The Onslaught Revelation, number one. Cy Spurrier, Bob Quinn, $5. Headline reads, You have strayed from the way of X. The onslaught is upon you. The blurb. The X-Men's greatest foe, mutantkind's primal evil, slithers in the minds of its most senior leaders. The kids whisper of the Crucible, a party to end all parties, a party to end everything. The seals are broken, the trumpets have sounded, only a small band of eccentric mutants can hope to break the fall. Can Nightcrawler spark the light that will drive out the shadows? Or... Will Krakoa slip into the abyss? And the cover here depicts Xavier being taken over by Onslaught. Now, here's a dichotomy. Of course, I really want to read this, but uh, it's looking more and more like this is probably going to be the end of the Way of X series. the rumors are that uh, this series is going to be wrapping up with this one shot, though I desperately hope they're wrong, but I don't think they are. Um, I love the idea of a crucible, You know, playing and merging and melding The concept of the Crucible with the Hellfire Gala I mean, Onslaught's all about Like a merging of two different things, right? Xavier and Magneto The Crucible and a Gala I mean, it's gonna be good (laughs) It's gonna be good I can't wait for it It's just, uh, I hope after this There's more X stuff In uh, Spurrier and Quinn's future Because they uh, It's just been so much fun Next up X-Men The Trial of Magneto, number two of five. Leia Williams, Larkus, no, Lucas Wernick, five dollars. Headline reads, Habeas Corpses, which is clever. The blurb is, Heroes of the Marvel Universe came to Krakoa for a memorial. Now, they've got a fight. Magneto pushes Krakoa and the Council to the brink. Also, there's something wrong with the body. Hmm. Uh, Well, the cover... Has Magneto, like, wasting the Avengers, which is a good and bad thing, in my opinion, because it's always nice to see the Avengers get smashed. But that also means we're going to have to read a story with the Avengers in it. And those don't usually end well for the X-Men, do they? Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this one. I've got my theories about how this one might shake out, and I wonder how they're going to work this one. If anybody out there has some theories about this, I would love to hear from you and share them on the show as well. I don't want to say mine. I don't want to... Accidentally influence anybody But uh, I've got thoughts Next up And this is a maybe for us a Deadpool Black, White, and Blood number 2 of 4 By a whole lot of folks For $5 The headline reads Wait, what? They're letting us do another one? The blurb is Did they not read the last one? That one was wild for sure But this one, Who, boy I mean, look at those credits You think this one's going to be less gonzo? I think I'm going to need to buy our lawyer a nice fruit basket or something. And I'll be grabbing this one regardless. Maybe not for the show. We'll see what the stories are about. I know the first issue, which I just received uh, the other day, it does have a Scout story in it. And uh, Scout is dressed the way she is on Krakoa, so I'm thinking that it's a more current day, not exactly current day, but a more current day story that we will be doing a uh, show on here. There's also an Omega Red story in there, which... I'm not sure when that was supposed to happen If it uh, if it seems relevant We will uh, cover it on the show as well Next up X-Force 23 Ben Percy, Martin Cocolo, $4 Headline reads Mightier than the sword The blurb Beast's best laid plans invite a threat close to the heart As the secret works of Mikhail Are at last revealed A key issue that will pre- persisip- pre- precipitate Boy, easy for me to say I've been talking a long time today a key issue that will precipitate a dire change for Krakoa. To which, I feel like I have to say I'm very tired of all of these solicitations promising big changes for Krakoa. I mean, for a place that advertises having these huge changes three to four times every single month, very little actually does. can Can we maybe lay off the hyperbole in our solicits? And again, I don't hate Ben Percy, Martin Cocolo, or X-Force. So uh just uh maybe dial it back with the hyperbole. I am definitely happy we're finally getting back to Mikhail. Uh the cover looks like he's jamming the Cerebro Sword, if you remember that, <laughs> into Beast's Head. Now the Cerebro Sword, I don't think we've seen that since uh X-Force number I think it originated in X-Force number two or three. I assumed it was gonna have something to do with the uh 10s event. And it was stolen right before Exitens by Mikhail, so it's been missing for quite a while. Next up, New Mutants 21. Vida Ayala, Alex Lins, $4. Headline reads, Mayhem on the Moon. The blurb, there's something creeping in the shadows of the Summerhouse, and the New Mutants are about to come face to face with it. And back on Earth, the team is turning against itself as they gear up for their biggest battle yet. It's space stuff. Um, hopefully the Earth stuff more than makes up for it I am tired of the space stuff Big time X-Men number three Jerry Duggan Pepe Larraz 4 The headline reads Evolution is the enemy Blurb The X-Men are no strangers to being targeted for their genes But when the High Evolutionary returns With his brand of unnatural selection The survival of the whole planet is at stake Well, I'm not much of a High Evolutionary fan but it's Duggan, so I am optimistic. Marauders number 24. Again, Jerry Duggan with Z. Carlos, $4. The headline reads, Space Pirates. Again? Um, now, the Marauders have hit the highest seas of all when they point their bow to the stars. But what threat awaits them, and why has it sworn vengeance? It's more space stuff. Okay. Excalibur 23, Teeny Howard, Marcus Toe, $4, The Call of Doom is our headline. As Guardians of the Gate, Excalibur is sworn to safely escort those who quest to the other world within, but their duties are tested to their limits when Doom returns to Avalon. And it's Otherworld. Uh, enough said, I guess. Uh, Rogue was very lucky to have gotten out of this book. Uh, sword number 8, Al Ewing, and I don't know how to pronounce this person's first name here, Giyu? Guyu Villanova, $4 Long live the queen By the time you're reading this, you know You know who sits in the central seat of Morocco. you know who speaks for Soul. Storm rules But when you have to prove to your People who you are, every single day Without fail, what becomes of who You were? My main Takeaway here is, wait a minute An issue of S.W.O.R.D. that isn't tied into a Crossover event? Do they even make Those? <laughs> and, uh I'm down. I'm down for this one. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing S.W.O.R.D. when it's not being forcibly tied into some sort of mass crossover event. Uh, next up, X-Corp number five. Teeny Howard, Alberto Focci, $4. Hostile takeover is our headline. Uh, it's impossible to succeed in business without making a few enemies. Noblesse Pharmaceutical sends their most cutthroat team against X-Corp once and for all, and they've come to collect. Uh, did that last sentence make any sense to anybody else? Um, anyway, it's a, this is a surefire 10 out of 10, and I can't wait for it. Hellions number 15, and uh, this is my monthly reminder that, yay, Hellions hasn't been canceled yet. Uh, Zeb Zebwell's Antonio, $4. Headline is Sinister Secrets. Psylocke's secret deal with Mr. Sinister will cause a schism within the Hellions. Also, Tarn the Uncaring wants his stuff back. And, I mean, it's Hellions. Enough said. It's going to be good. I can't wait. Wolverine number 16. Ben Percy, Adam Cubit $4. The Solemn Truth. The game is nearly over, but when Solemn is involved, that's just an excuse to change the rules. Did you figure out the mystery before Wolverine? And, I mean, it's Wolverine versus Solemn. We've enjoyed that. And it's not vampires. And we enjoy things that aren't vampires, so think this will be a goodie, and Adam Cubitt's back on R2, which is always a good thing. X-Men Legends number 7, Larry Hammer, Billy Tan, $4. Wolverine, Jubilee, Hammer. Eh, (laughs) not not really looking forward to it. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy number 18, maybe we'll cover this one. It's wrapping up The Last Annihilation. I will grab it just in case sword or cable are involved. Part of me wonders what's going to happen with Cable in this uh, Hey, maybe he'll join the Guardians or something I, Who knows? Who even knows? But uh, we will definitely keep that one on our pull list Just in case it needs to be covered here on the program Now with all the singles out of the way Let's head into Collected Editions here We got Reign of X, Volume 4 Which includes Wolverine number 10 Excalibur number 17 X-Factor 6 Cable 8 And Children of the Atom number 1 152 pages, $18 Cable by Jerry Duggan, Volume 2. This one includes Cable 7 through 12, 160 pages, also $18. And I think that's it, because everything else here is listed as October and beyond. So this is into the far-flung future. And we have X-Men Omnibus, Volume 2. This includes X-Men 32 through 66, Avengers 53, Kazar 2 and 3, Marvel Tales, number 30, and Not Brand Ech, number 4 and 8. 920 pages, $125. Hellions by Zeb Wells, volume 1 hardcover. Hellions 1 through 4 and 7 through 12, 288 pages for $40. Wolverine by Percy, volume 1 hardcover. It's Wolverine 1 through 5 and then 8 through 12, 328 pages, also $40. X-Corp by Teeny Howard, volume 1. Volume 1, It sounds like a threat. I mean, I mean a threat of a really good time. This one includes X-Corp 1 through 5. 144 pages, 18 bucks you'll never get back, nor will you want them back, because this is a 10 out of 10. Children of the Atom by Ayala, Volume 1. Now this is Children of the Atom 1 through 6, and that bit from Marvel's Voices that we covered back in the day. 184 pages, $18. Reign of X, Volume 5, includes Excalibur 18 and 19. Sword 2 and 3, and King and Black Marauders. 152 pages, $18. Reign of X, Volume 6, Sword number 4, X-Men 18 and 19, Marauders 18 and 19, and X-Force 17. 160 pages, also 18 bucks. Way of X by Spurrier, Volume 1. Way of X, Numbers 1 through 5, no mention of the Onslaught story. 144 pages, 16 bucks. The X-Men Epic Collection, Volume 8, I... Magneto. This one includes Uncanny X Men issues 144 through 153 and Annual Number 5, Avengers Annual Number 10, that biggie with uh, the first appearance of Rogue, Bizarre Adventures Number 27, and Marvel Fanfare 1 through 4. It's 480 pages, $40. Next, X Men Avengers Onslaught Omnibus. Really? Now that was an Avengers story now? Come on. Uh, Cable 32 through 36. Uncanny X Men 333 through 337, X Force 55, 57, and 58, X Man 15 through 19, X Men Volume 2, 53 through 57, and the 1996 annual, X Men Unlimited 11, Onslaught X Men, Onslaught Marvel Universe, Onslaught Epilogue, Avengers 401 402, so that's why they get co-billing here. They have two issues in the book. Uh, Fantastic Four, 415 and 416. Incredible Hulk 444 445, Wolverine 104 105, X Factor 125 126, Amazing Spider Man 415, Green Goblin number 12, Spider Man number 72, Iron Man 332, Punisher 11, Thor 502, X Men Road to Onslaught, and Excalibur number 100. Now, this is 1,296 pages for $125. Next up, we have the X-Men Omnibus Volume 1, which is X-Men Issues 1 through 31 from back in the long ago. 224 pages, 40 bucks. If uh, you're looking for a show to uh, help you through those issues, I hear there's uh, there's one on this very channel. Finally, X-Men Legends Volume 1, The Missing Links. This is X-Men Legends Issues 1 through 6, 136 pages, 18 dollars. And, uh, well, that's it. <laughs> that's everything. I think we are done here today. Uh, boy, it's one broken hour, so sorry about that. But uh, let's let's close this one out here. If uh, anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email at, at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-LAPS voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrissoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And I definitely want to uh, shout out the members of that group here For uh, being very, very cool and very, very supportive When I got that uh, very poor review Um, Folks don't know how close I came to just shutting everything down at that point Uh, Not that I can't take criticism, but this felt like a uh, Felt like an attack rather than um, a criticism And when you devote basically every minute of your free time to a project And you hear something like that, you kind of just don't want to do it anymore So... Big, huge thanks to the, uh, the Facebook group at 90s X-Men for just being some of the coolest folks out there. Finally, for the complete archives, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. That's available anywhere that the internet aggregates noise. And uh, as much as I hate to ask, but if there's anyone out there who has any nice things to say about the show and maybe a few moments of time, uh, maybe help your old buddy, old pal out. I would uh, really, really appreciate it. But uh, with all that said, I'd like to thank you all so much for allowing me to reside in your ear for an extended period of time today. I would also like to thank everyone for their patience for how long it took for the main show to come back. The realities of shipping are, uh, sometimes they're really, really good, and sometimes they're just not. And this was one of the cases where it was not. So thank you all so much for your kindness, for your patience, and for joining me. Until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.